Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve, the podcast from Acadia, where we take time to get under the skin of the risk, margin and collateral industry, to dig deep and present topical perspectives and insights on this hugely important sector. Now, for some time, we've been waiting for European Union regulators to update and further specify the requirements for uncleared margin rules or UMR regulations for firms across Europe in particular with respect to the initial margin model validation requirements. With UMR coming into effect for phase six firms this September, it's been seen as a particularly important moment for those smaller phase five and six firms. Well, the European Banking Authority, or EBA, has now published for consultation its proposed specification of existing regulation in the form of its latest Regulatory Technical Standards, or RTS, on initial margin model validation. The update provides clarity on a number of key issues, in particular, the way firms will need to validate the model they use to calculate their initial margin. So what do phase five and six firms need to be thinking about here and how should they be preparing? To answer these and other questions on the EBA's latest announcement, I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Kirchner, partner and head of European Quant Services at Acadia and Deepak Sitlani, partner at Linklaters. Robert, Deepak, welcome to you both. Hello, pleased to be here. Hello, John. Thanks. Pleased to be here. So let's get back to basics first here. Talk me through the EBA's new regulatory technical standards for uncleared margin rules. Robert, let me come to you first. All right. Thanks, John. So um, allow me to take a step back here. Um, The RTS um, on initial margin model validation, it's the latest proposal in a larger body of regulation that is concerned with the risk mitigation of OTC derivatives. Okay. And relevant for this RTS is, first of all, EMIR, the European Market Infrastructure Regulation, which is the umbrella regulation. Then there's RIFIT that amends EMIR. And uh, then there is the uh, delegated regulation with a nice name, 2016-2251. My goodness, Robert, there's some, uh, there's some acronyms there. Many acronyms here. Yes, right. That's the European Union's regulation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, among many other things, those regulations, uh, they say with respect to model validation, that internal initial margin models, so non-grid methodologies, basically, they need to be validated at least annually, and in particular, backtested. However, this existing body of regulation is not very prescriptive then about how the validation and the backtesting should take place, right? And what kind of documentation should be submitted to the regulators for an initial model approval. Um, so the RTS is a long-awaited specification on, and, on how the validation and in particular the backtesting should or can take place and what a firm that is regulated under EMIR will be required to submit in its application for model approval. Okay. Now, to be clear, this applies to firms who fall under EMIR right, and are using or are planning to use an initial margin model, such as ISDESIN, for example. Right? Now, In the RTS, there are two processes defined for model validation, depending on your average aggregate notional amount, so basically your exposure of firms, right? And for the smaller ones, for phase five and phase six firms uh, that that have come into scope or will come into scope in September, 
uh, there's a so-called simplified process for validation of the initial margin model. Now, and under this simplified process, firms will need to demonstrate that they have a proper risk governance and operational structure in place within which they are monitoring the performance or the adequacy, if you, if you will, of the operations of the model, right? And uh, the key technical or quantitative requirement for performance monitoring for those firms um, uh, is that they have to perform a quarterly dynamic backtest, okay? Now, to ease the operational and the technical burden for, for, uh, for uh, all firms, um, the RTS explicitly allows for the outsourcing of, of virtually all key tasks, right? Such as the design, the calibration, the implementation, and also the internal validation of, of the model, right? Now, that said, however, an important point um, is that the regulated entity is still responsible for the adequacy or the fitness of the model for its particular case or its portfolio, if you will, right? So that's very briefly, or maybe not that briefly, but in a nutshell, what the RTS says and what the context is. But you've painted the picture well there, Robert. Uh, Deepak, anything that you would add to that? Uh, yeah, so I, I think you're right. Uh, Robert's done a good job of um, explaining all of the different pieces of the jigsaw uh, as to what makes up the EU margin rules. But this latest piece of the jigsaw, the, the RTS on, uh, on, on models, I think it's worth flagging that it's it's not yet live. So, so where we are in the process is um, the EBA put out uh, a consultation and draft RTS. They were kind of well thought through. Um, that consultation closed on the 4th of February. And so the next step is just a process uh, pursuant to which comments will be uh, addressed. And I, and I do know that substantive comments were fed in. Um, so the draft is, is by no means final. And so then when you fast forward, I think the expectation is that we would see kind of publication later this year. You then have to go through all of the EU um, kind of approvals process. So, so actually, by the time this comes into force, it will definitely, I think, be after the phase six phasing date of September 2022. And even after that, there's a there's a kind of phased application of, of these rules. So currently they're thinking of uh, for phase five entities, you've got to uh, get your approvals um, in two years after the uh, RTS come into force. And for phase six firms, three years after the RTS come into force. And then the local regulators have two years in which to object to, to, to the model's use. So you can see that actually we're looking quite a way into the future. But I think it is important to be talking about these uh, draft RTS now, because the, the temptation is just to worry about the here and now and kind of kick the can down the road in terms of uh, things to worry about for an, on another day. But actually the, the decisions and steps that people take in setting up their um, initial margin infrastructure today, I think, um, are really important to, uh, to to actually just factor in what may be coming coming down the track. So, despite the perhaps slightly longer time horizon, Deepak, uh, there is still, you're saying, a sense of urgency here for businesses. I think it's a case of um, don't ignore these draft rules just because they are draft and because there are these long transitional provisions. Because um, now is the time, particularly for those phase six firms, that they're establishing their, 
their setup and it would just be a bit of a pain for them to have to in a few years time come back and look at um, look at what they've done and and, and possibly revise the approach uh, that they've taken. Robert, will the requirements outlined in the RTS largely remain or can firms expect a higher degree of relief? The short answer is probably not much, right? Uh, even though many, especially the smaller firms, they're very unhappy with uh, what is seen to be you know, quite a burdensome book of requirements here, right? And particularly the, the back testing. And they're also looking over to the US where smaller firms they're, they're, that are not prudentially regulated, right? They're exempt from individual back testing and, and monitoring requirements, right? Uh, but I, you know, we don't see any indication that a substantial relief will come here, right? In particularly with respect uh, to, to, to the back testing. So that, that is most probably uh, uh, here to stay with us. Maybe something on the documentation here and there, um, but the the the, um, the involved parts, you know, also setting up your governance infrastructure and then the technical part of the backtesting, um, that that will remain most probably in our estimation. And the the new RTS isn't, as we know, currently in force. So, what regulatory requirement is in place now when it comes to initial margin model validation? Deepak, can you answer that? Yeah, it's a it's a good question actually, and it's 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 a point that I think sometimes people um, kind of gloss over in a way. So so the rules currently do contemplate a number of requirements um, or criteria that your initial margin models have to have to satisfy, including, for example, uh, back testing. Um, but but it's a bit it's a bit like when you when when you're at school when you when you've been asked to do your homework um, and and then in class the next day you, you you're basically allowed to mark your own homework. Whereas I think once once these uh, RTS come into force, you actually have to give your homework into the teacher to mark. And so so what I think what I think is is likely to happen is that I think firms will just pay a bit bit more attention probably to. Uh, to the requirements that are currently there, including setting out in their risk management procedures all of the steps that they would take if um, in, in relation to uh, their the compliance of the model with, with their rules. And Deepak, you've already talked about the uh, impact to a degree on firms uh, in the midst of phase five and phase six, you mentioned, of course, September later this year. But thinking about those two in particular, phase five and phase six firms, what do they need to be doing now or thinking about now? Again, I think with with an eye on um, what what these drafts RTS say, I, I would be thinking about um, going through uh, the the draft RTS and 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 asking yourselves well how are you going to demonstrate you know if you were to put in a, a a request for validation today how would you put together the the supporting information uh, for for that submission and and equally um, what kind of governance processes are you going to put around your your uh, operation of the model. In particular, if you are, as a number of firms will be doing, outsourcing the model. So what are you going to require of the, the entity to whom, for example, you're, you're outsourcing your model requirements? So those are the kinds of things that I think firms should be thinking about, possibly in a way that they haven't kind of thought through uh, for prior phases. And Robert, what would you add to that? 
maybe in particular if you if you are moving margin already right or if you if you will move margin within the next 12 to 15 months right um, there is the 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 requirement right now to validate and to backtest your model right um, you have the RTS on the other hand that specifies how so you might as well uh, um, do that get your setup right right consistent with the RTS start doing that now right and like Deepak said uh, um, get your your monitoring and internal approval processes up and running you know define and delineate staff's roles and responsibilities get your technical implementation work that is needed for running and back testing the model get that ready and start to compile the documentation that is needed for model application right and there's also a nice twist that you can can make use of in the in the RTS um, maybe another point of relief here with with respect to other uh, um, internal model uh, approval processes so um, uh, in the RTS it is stated that as soon as you have submitted the application to your local regulator for using your IM model right you can you can start to use the model in daily operations right um, so you do not need to wait for explicit model approval right um, so set everything up and if you're ready in your estimation uh, that you're fit for purpose uh, compile your your documents uh, submit your application and you're good to go just looking more broadly the the new rts relates only to europe in what is of course a global industry so why is this the case and is there any potential impact for firms based in the uk deepak uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, yeah, so another good question. So um, I think when when the initial margin rules first came into play, uh, I mean, obviously the aim was to have as consistent a set of rules across the various jurisdictions as was possible. But 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 in a number of respects, that that wasn't achieved. And this is this is one of those um, one of those areas. So for example, in the US, there was a requirement for model approval but we didn't have that in in the eu so basically this is i guess belatedly the eu kind of catching up on on the requirement for for uh, regulators to to approve models but then you also have the um the interesting interaction with brexit so so um when when uh, the uk left the european union basically what happened was there was a kind of copy and paste, if you like, of um, European law into uh, UK law. Now that copy and paste doesn't apply to these uh, these draft regulatory technical standards because they didn't exist um, at, 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 at the time that the UK left the EU. So that then leaves open the question as to whether or not the UK will kind of independently be be introducing similar similar requirements, and at the moment, uh, I haven't heard uh, that, that that this will be happening in the UK. That's not to say it won't, um, but 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 that means that these rules currently will only um, apply to kind of EU entities rather than rather than UK entities. So, in respect of the UK, then Deepak, it's more a question of watch this space. Definitely, I think there's a lot of watch this space. Uh, because watch the space how the RTS uh, uh, develop, but yeah, definitely let's wait and see if if the UK regulators adopt a similar approach. Now, Robert, you mentioned earlier on the back test, um, and it's key to much of what we're discussing here. So, what should a firm do if the worst happens and the back test fails? <laughs> you know, 
backtesting is is a statistical procedure, right? So so the backtest will fail at some point, almost surely, and that that's to be expected. However, it's what's important is that it does not fail significantly or too often, let's say, right? And this this level, when this level is reached, that is it's specified in the in the RTS, right? And um, if that happens, if that that level is reached. Um, the backtest is basically telling you that that the initial margin uh, calculated by the model uh, used does not cover the realized PNL moves, right? With the confidence level that the model has been designed for originally, right? Or just simply put, the model seems to fail significantly in predicting your exposure, right? Now, in in case of a failing backtest or instances in which the initial margin does not cover the PNL moves. Uh, what firms need to analyze uh, is the the root cause of this failure, right? And they uh, need to explain that to the regulator. Uh, um, it could, for example, be the case that the model does not cover risk factor that, that the portfolio is exposed to, or that you know certain assumptions that have been made in the model methodology or approximations they might not be valid, right? And if you're using a proprietary model, then um, you might want to recalibrate the model or even revise some of its, its structure to fit the risk profile uh, of your portfolio better. Um, if you're using a third-party solution like is the ZIMP, for example then um, an individual revision of the model, that, that might not be possible, right? Um, however, you can still solve the problem, for example, by using a multiplier to your initial initial margin, right, at the, at the level appropriate for uh, the exceptions encountered. Uh, for example, the aggregate portfolio level, um, you can do it asset-specific, per risk class, or risk factor level, or any combination of that, right? Um, now, if a risk factor is not covered by SIM or not sufficiently covered, right, um, or your third-party model, um, you could also use a fixed add-on, for example, right, or you could fall back to standard schedule for certain parts of your of your portfolio, right. Now, um, so there are different possibilities that you can, or different ways, different routes that you can take. Uh, whatever you do, however, all all of the remedi these, these remediation actions, uh, complicated word, uh, they, they need to agree by both counterparties and they need to be specified in the, in the CSA, right, to avoid any, any conflicts uh, in, the, in the reconciliation. And Deepak, anything you'd add to that? Uh, so just just to say that, you know, obviously we're talking about the new uh, or the forthcoming RTS, which relates to kind of regulator validation. I mean, as I've mentioned, the, the current rules already contemplate um, things that you have to do to, to deal with, with the model. And one of the things is um, to have risk management procedures in place that basically upfront say uh, what you might do to address a backtesting failure. So the, 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 the rules contemplate a model change, recalibration or other remediation action. So again, it's kind of documenting ahead of time what you might do if there is a failure. Yeah, Deepak, that's a that, that's a good point. This is this is one of the most important points that you will need to cover in your documentation and in your internal processes, right? That you prescribe precisely what do you do, how do you react to to a a, a backtest failure. Okay, just time for one more question to you both. We we have at last some clarity from the EBA on its new regulatory technical standards. But what are the next steps for those firms that will be affected by the new RTS? Deepak, let me come to you first for a roundup on this. 
So one thing I would say is kind of watch this space. So do keep an eye on how the draft RTS uh, evolve. Uh, and I guess the only other thing I would say is uh, almost pretend that they are enforced before they apply to you before they actually do so that you are laying the groundwork in terms of model adoption, governance, outsourcing, you know, at the right time rather than to have to come back and revisit once, um, you know, in a few years time. So it goes back to that don't kick the can down the road uh, line. I think it's an important thing to remember that. And Robert, the final comment to you. Yeah, right. And it, Deepak, what you said, that's, I, th I think that's ex especially important for firms that are moving margin already, uh, using a model or are planning to do that in the next 12 months or so, right? And and even if if um, uh, you're not planning to do that within the next uh, 12 or 15 months, right, then uh, communicate with your regulator, right? Tell them about your plans, tell them what, what, uh, how you think you will get ready um, when the time comes that you uh, uh, that you move margin, right? How you get your 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 uh, your approvals or your internal structure and so on and so forth, right? And it's especially in, if you are a smaller buy side firm, right? Then you should think about this in particular because um, uh, chances are you do not have a risk governance infrastructure in place like most banks do that that are used to these to, to these level of, of, of regulations, right? Um, so uh, yeah, get get an overview of what you need to do and and start doing it because uh, these to set these things up, that's that's not something that you do in a couple of weeks, right? That that takes time. Well it's a fascinating and important subject, but I'm afraid we are out of time now. Robert Keshner, Deepak Sidlani, thank you both very much indeed for your time. And thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. We'd like to know what you think, so please do get in touch and share your thoughts. And you can find out more about Acadia by going to acadia.inc. But until next time, it's goodbye.